It's April 3rd. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the first episode of The Wright Report. It's a podcast where I take you with me around America and around the world, briefing you on the facts about news shaping our lives. I bring you the latest developments that mainstream media, frankly, just usually misses or gets wrong. Plus, when I offer up my analysis or opinion on these latest developments, I'm going to let you know that we're pivoting away from basic facts and instead talking about my views based on my experiences. And then you can decide if my view of things is right or wrong or maybe a little bit of both. But at least we'll have an established set of facts to work from. So let's dive into it this morning. I've got five briefs for you full of news that's shaping America and the world. First, former U.S. President Donald Trump is set to face a New York prosecutor tomorrow who alleges that he engaged in unlawful behavior and should face judgment for it. I'll explain the latest with three things that you need to know. Second, hang on to your pocketbooks. Oil prices are likely to increase after a surprise announcement yesterday from the oil cartel OPEC+. Plus. I'll share why they're cutting oil production and why you should unfortunately plan on paying more at the pump. Third, we've got an election in the European country of Finland to talk about. I'll explain why a conservative victory there is now a very clear pattern of folks on the right winning back European governments from the left. Next, I've got news for you this morning that corporate America is growing closer to China. The car company Tesla is quietly planning to partner with a Chinese battery company to build a factory in the state of Texas. Finally, this morning, if you or a loved one struggles with depression, I've got some great news to share. The British Journal of Sports Medicine is reporting that exercise is more effective at treating depression than both counseling and medication. Later, we close out the podcast with one last thing. It's a personal message today on this very first episode of The Right Report. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Tomorrow will be a day for the U.S. history books. Former President Donald Trump is set to be arraigned in a New York City courtroom to face charges connected to a payment that he made years ago, allegedly to secure the silence of a woman who says that they were intimate. Now, critics say that the entire case is a political hit job, either completely without merit or a misdemeanor at best. So let me refresh our memories this morning about this case and share with you the three things that you need to know. So let's start with what we know about this case, which is to say, officially, not a lot. The indictment has yet to be unsealed. That'll happen tomorrow when Trump travels from his home in Florida to New York. But here's what Trump's attorneys have said, along with multiple press outlets across the political spectrum. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who is a Democrat, is charging Trump for payments made to a woman named Stormy Daniels on the eve of the 2016 presidential election. So in exchange for her silence about an alleged affair, which Trump denies, Ms. Daniels was allegedly given $130,000. Now, whether or not there was something illegal about those alleged payments, that is up for debate. Federal prosecutors and the previous district attorney in Manhattan actually looked at these payments and decided not to charge Mr. Trump with any related crimes. But Mr. Bragg revived the case. Actually, he then dropped it and then revived it again. 
And that's led some observers to question the motives of this Democrat prosecutor as Trump again seeks the presidency in next year's elections. So we'll know more tomorrow about the exact nature of these charges, and we'll dive into that probably on Wednesday. Meanwhile, let's talk about the district attorney, Mr. Alvin Bragg. It has been widely and credibly reported that Mr. Bragg is, in fact, a Democrat and that during his campaign to win the DA's office, he was pretty open about wanting to charge Mr. Trump with, well, something. Moreover, some of Mr. Bragg's campaign contributors are well-known opponents of Mr. Trump and very much pro-Democrat. So just as one example, a longtime Democrat fundraiser, a pretty major one, named George Soros, gave $1 million to an organization that in turn spent money to support Mr. Bragg. Also of note, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that Mr. Soros's children gave substantial contributions to Mr. Bragg as well. So all told, that helps explain why many conservatives are calling this case a pretty shocking partisan attack, while Trump himself is saying that Bragg is, quote, weaponizing our justice system to punish a political opponent, end quote. Now, to be fair, Mr. Bragg has said that it is not him that indicted the former president. It's a grand jury who was made up of New Yorkers. So his partisan politics, whatever they might be, aren't relevant. But that raises the third and final thing that you need to know. Who were the members of this grand jury? And what happens if this whole thing goes to an actual trial? Would that trial of his peers in New York be fair to Mr. Trump? Well, here's what we know about the people and the voters of New York City and Manhattan County that would make up the jury. All right, in the 2020 election, Joe Biden received about 88% of the vote in New York City. Donald Trump received the remaining 12%. So that is why many observers like former Manhattan prosecutor Matthew Galuzzo are saying that Trump may have a legitimate argument about finding jurors who can put aside their personal, well, frankly, hatred of him. So said Galuzzo, quote, in Manhattan, there's been so much publicity about this indictment and about this case. Trump is not a popular person in Manhattan. You could imagine people wanting to convict him just because of who he is, regardless of what the evidence is that comes down, end quote. So that means that Trump could say, all right, no jury trials. Instead, I want what's called a bench trial or a trial by a judge alone, no jury. But that raises another set of pretty thorny questions about the possible bias by a single judge. And of course, a set of appeals that would likely come from any ruling. So all of this is to say that despite the headlines this week, this case is likely to extend well into next year. In fact, into the next presidential election, which will mean a media circus, whether you like that or not. And to the point, it has already started. Lower Manhattan is being locked down in areas around the courthouse. Streets and parks were shut on Friday and Saturday in anticipation of Trump's arrangement. So by the way, tomorrow night, Trump has announced that he will address the nation on these charges. We will see, of course, if America's mainstream networks cover it or not. Regardless, more to come, folks. Let's see what is in that indictment tomorrow. With that, let's move on to your second brief of the morning. Oil prices shot up overnight after a surprise announcement yesterday from the oil cartel OPEC+. Plus. 
So the West Texas Intermediate Oil rose to about 81 bucks a barrel yesterday after OPEC Plus announced that it would cut global production by over a million barrels a day. So of that number, half a million will be cut by Saudi Arabia alone. All right, so the bottom line is that with less global oil production, prices that we all pay at the pump will probably go up. In fact, prices were already climbing over the past couple of months in the U.S., averaging about $3.45 a gallon. And the reason for that, by the way, is that reserves of gasoline in the United States were already at an eight-year low. Oil companies have taken their refineries offline, or at least increasingly so, for these scheduled spring maintenance. All right, this takes the refining capacity down right now to about 86% of normal, which obviously is going to leave supplies very tight nationwide. And now, with OPEC's decision yesterday, there's even less raw oil to refine. And that is leading energy analysts cited by Reuters News yesterday to predict that we may see gas prices go back up to $5 a gallon or more come this summertime. That's actually an amount that we saw last summer that, as we all know, broke records. For what it's worth, the White House yesterday slammed OPEC's decision to cut oil. A National Security Council spokesman called the move, quote, unadvisable, end quote. That's nice to say. At any rate, I'll keep my eye on this, absolutely. But let me now pivot from facts and data to my analysis on what's happening, on why OPEC and Saudi Arabia in particular are cutting down on oil production. So on one hand, part of this can be chalked up to just normal market forces. Right, the Saudis and other oil producers want oil prices to be around 90 bucks a barrel, but that has actually slipped recently to about $65 a barrel. So this move will and has bumped up that price. And of course, the profits that they're going to collect are going to come from you and me. But I actually think that there's another motivation here, especially with the big cut by the Saudis. So the royal family of that country has made it pretty clear that the close history between the Saudis and the United States is no longer what it once was. Right? Saudi officials in the capital city of Riyadh are pivoting closer to China instead of the United States and, to a lesser extent, to Moscow. And that's because things are getting very personal between Joe Biden and the Saudi royal family. Joe Biden went after the Saudi crown prince a number of months ago after blaming him for the murder of a Saudi dissident, a guy named Khashoggi. In other words, folks, we have got a bunch of elephants fighting each other. And as always, the only real loser in that kind of fight is the grass beneath them, which uh, in this case is kind of you and I. We we, uh, pay higher prices at the gas pump. With that, ladies and gentlemen, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you won't hear any ads over the next couple of minutes. It's a bit of an ad-free zone for now. So stretch those legs, sip on a, say, cup of coffee or juice, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue our news this morning with an update out of the European country of Finland. But let's actually start with this. Why should we care about Finland? I mean, they're a great country and all, but why should we care about them? Well, if you are in the states of Wisconsin, Iowa, or Illinois, your factories and your workers produce construction equipment and farm machinery that gets exported to Finland, around a billion dollars worth each year. That's according to the Office of the United States Trade Representative. There are actually a lot of other examples of other states, too. Texas, for instance, exports a lot of mineral fuels. Washington State, you all export aircraft, all of it to Finland. 
So as it turns out, your state or community might want to pay attention to things like, well, the latest twists and turns out of countries like Finland. And there was a big development over the weekend in Finland. It was actually a really big political shocker. Two conservative parties in Finland handedly beat the liberal opposition in parliamentary elections, 41% to 20%. Other minor parties in the country took the rest of the vote. But the real shocker here is that liberals were expected to win in a squeaker. But it was conservatives who captured the vote due to allegations, well, at least this is the argument, that the governing leftists of Finland had driven up the budget deficit and allowed in too many illegal migrants into the country, which the argument went, that pushed up crime. Now, what's interesting about this victory of conservatives in Finland is that we're actually seeing this conservative movement claim party victories all over Europe. In neighboring Sweden, for example, just last fall, conservative parties there defeated liberals largely because of violence and drug trafficking that voters blamed on illegal migration. In the nearby country of the Netherlands, as another example, a new party there made up of mostly farmers and their supporters shocked the country by winning 15 of the 75 seats in the Senate in the Netherlands. Right? That's up from one seat, one in 2021. All because voters in that country were outraged by the government of the Netherlands saying that they had planned to seize farms and ranches in order to lower greenhouse gas emissions. Finally, I should note that we got some election results in Italy a number of months ago where conservative Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney took power from the left and swept recent elections on the local level just back in February. So if we put all of this together, whether it be in Italy, the Netherlands, Sweden, or Finland, let me now pivot from facts and data to my opinion and analysis on what's going on with all of these countries. So I think what we're seeing all throughout Europe, are voters who are very frustrated with a lot of the same issues that we're experiencing here in the United States. Things like crime, illegal migration, a soft economy, the drug crisis, budget deficits. And voters are saying, enough is enough. Give us law and order. Let us live our lives in peace. And by the way, our farm and our ranch, it's not yours for the taking. By the way, if you want to solve the climate change issue, all right, go talk to China. They're the world's biggest polluter. That is the problem that needs to be solved. It's not on our farm. Now, whether or not that is a fair argument, reasonable people can debate that. But from Finland to Italy, that is the message being sent from voters to those in power. Let's see if that same sentiment holds true here in the United States. Voters have the chance to weigh in on all of that during our upcoming elections next year. Speaking of America, let's bring it on home for an update on how one company is planning to partner with a Chinese conglomerate to build batteries in the United States for electric vehicles, which is not what most Americans want. More on that in a second. But in the meantime, let's talk about that Chinese conglomerate. The Dallas Morning News reported over the weekend that the electric vehicle company Tesla is in secret talks with the Chinese battery company called CATL, or Cattle. It's the same company that's in a planned partnership with the Ford Motor Company to provide them with batteries for their growing fleet of electric vehicles. Now, details are a little bit sparse this morning on Tesla's exact plans, but here's what I've found. 
Tesla has apparently brokered a very tentative deal to build a battery factory somewhere in Texas, with CEO Elon Musk reaching out to the White House over the past few weeks to tell them of his plans. Now, he's doing that very quietly, in no small part because the backlash that Ford Motor Company got when they announced their partnership with this same Chinese company for a battery factory in Michigan. Now, that deal is currently undergoing some scrutiny by not only the U.S. government, but also, get this, the Chinese government. They announced in February that they are going to be taking a closer look at this deal with Ford to ensure that, oh, here we go, the Americans, they say, aren't going to steal Chinese battery technology, which is a little bit rich. According to a report by the United States Trade Representative's Office back in 2020, Beijing steals upwards of $600 billion annually from America's economy. That includes stealing trade secrets, counterfeiting products, and infringing on patents and copyrights. One last thing to note here. Last week, the U.S. Secretary of the Interior was on Capitol Hill and was grilled about whether this push for electric vehicles was smart or not, at least from a national security perspective. A Republican congressman uh, from Pennsylvania actually noted that China dominates the global battery supply chain, upwards of 90% of the mining and refining of minerals, and about the same of manufacturing of batteries. And so the congressman from uh, Pennsylvania asked Joe Biden's interior secretary, quote, moving our battery supply chain to China, that would mean that electric vehicles and renewable energy will deepen our reliance on Beijing, correct? To which Biden's secretary said, quote, uh, yes, okay, end quote. As always, I'll let you decide if that is wise or not to put ourselves at the mercy of China's supply chain. Although a poll out over the weekend from Fox News shows that most of you don't think it's wise to, well, buddy up to China. 51% of voters said that China is the greatest threat to the United States, while 30% said Russia and 8% said North Korea. I'll keep you posted on this possible Texas-China factory build-out. Let's see what Elon Musk has to say about it. And, well, maybe the voters and the politicians in Texas, too. Finally this morning, if you or a loved one is struggling with depression or anxiety, I've got some good news to share with you. The British Journal of Sports Medicine is reporting that exercise is more effective at treating depression than counseling and medications. So here's what we know. Researchers at the University of South Australia scrutinized over 1,000 medical trials involving 128,000 participants. And they looked at how exercise impacted both depression and anxiety. Plus, what kind of exercise gave the most improvement, if at all? And what they found was this. Physical activity is 1.5 times more effective than counseling or the leading prescription drugs for depression and anxiety. Now, here's the great part. The exercise programs that lasted the shortest period of time, in other words, just took, say, 12 weeks or less to get benefit, those were the most effective at reducing mental health symptoms. And the exercises actually that lasted the shortest period of time when you did them, in other words, say, 20 minutes of fast walking or sprints, those quick exercises were actually more impactful than, say, the exercise routines that lasted an hour and were even less intense. 
So here's what one of the researchers said. It's a fellow named Dr. Ben Singh who offered that, quote, physical activity is known to help improve mental health. Yet, despite the evidence, it has not been widely adopted as a first choice treatment, end quote. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I'm sure the pharmaceutical companies can probably tell you why they would prefer that we take a pill and uh, not go out and get some exercise. All right, I'm getting sassy. But there you have it. One more reason to work up a sweat. By the way, if you want to read more about this study, here is the title for your own research. It's called Effectiveness of Physical Activity Interventions for Improving Depression, Anxiety, and Distress. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's first episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this short commercial break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Now, normally this is when I plan to share with you a listener question or some feedback that you all have sent to me via email. And we're going to do that probably later this week. But today I wanted to share a personal message with you on this very first episode of the podcast. So I last joined many of you in late February as I hosted a separate news podcast. And it was a great joy to do so. I met so many of you through that experience. In fact, some 10,000 people or so have subscribed to The Right Report. And I suspect that some of you are joining because you got a lot of value from that old show. So my goal with The Right Report is to take that value and grow it, to give you all the facts and data before any other media outlet or podcast so that you have what you need to guide your families, your communities, and frankly, protect your pocketbook. And you know what? We are going to have a blast doing it. I'm going to take you with me around the world as we explore the day's news, not just here in America, but abroad too. We're going to travel to cities like Ouagadougou or the country of Vanuatu. And we're going to talk about why we should care about all these unknown or exotic places. Because as a former CIA operations officer, I can tell you that they are all really important in ways that we normally don't appreciate. Plus, I'm going to be honest with you. All right. I want to help you sound smarter than all your coworkers and friends. Uh, Okay. Look, I know that's about ego. Probably not the best. But look... It's not just that you're going to sound smarter, although that is nice. You are going to, in fact, be smarter, more informed. You're going to lead conversations about how to make your country better. And that, that to me, is pretty special. And that is what we're building together here at The Right Report. So folks, welcome. We are going to be meeting up each day, Monday through Friday, at 7 a.m. Eastern for around 20, 25 minutes. By the way, tell a friend or two, if you don't mind, that this podcast is worth their time. And if you do, thank you. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your first morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, let me leave you with words that inspire me. They're from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. It's the creed of every good spy and every wise American. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.